All right, well, we are here to remember and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Without a doubt, he's the reason we're here. And without a doubt, it is the most significant moment in human history. All of human history is defined, yes, by the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, his atoning work for us on the cross, but just as important is his resurrection life. If someone has like faced death and come out on the other side and lives eternally, that's an important historical event that has meaning and significance for all of us. And so that's what we're here to talk about and celebrate this morning. But, but what I primarily want to share with you today is not the resurrection story, but a resurrection story. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, every single one of us has the opportunity to experience our own resurrection story. His resurrection means the rest of us can have eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. Now, we're going to do this by looking at two people, two of Jesus' closest friends and followers. And we're going to look at some some devastating things, some hard things that they went through. And for one of them, incredible redemption that came through Jesus. And so we're going to look at the lives of Judas and Peter and what transpired in their lives around this climactic event in Jesus' life, his death, burial, and resurrection. Are we ready? Yes? All right. I'm not totally convinced of that. Maybe we'll get there. All right, so we're going to pick up the story about a week before Jesus' death. He's attending a dinner that's in his honor. They're celebrating the fact that Lazarus has been risen from the grave. And so he's with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. They're gathered in a house. His disciples are there with him. And in there in the middle of dinner, Mary shows up, and we're going to pick up the story here in John chapter 12, verse 3. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. Wow, the power of that. Her hair wiping his feet with this expensive perfume. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, who was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He's saying this ointment is massively expensive. This is about a year's wages for this. This is expensive ointment. He says, why didn't we sell that and give it to the poor? Why is it being wasted to be rubbed on Jesus' feet. Verse six, he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. And Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. So the first moment on the scene here with Judas, a week before Jesus' death, is that he is furious 
with what he perceives to be a waste. Why are we wasting this precious, expensive ointment to just pour on the feet of Jesus? Why are we doing that? And and why does Jesus correct him and make it clear what Mary did has been right? Listen, I, I just have to say to you guys this morning, God cares about money. Oh, great. Even on Easter Sunday, the preacher's gonna bring up money. Listen, God cares about money because it's not about the money. Money is a revealer of the heart. What we do with our most precious stuff, what we do with our resources, our finances, our time, our relationships, what we do with our most valuable resources is a reflection of what is going on in our heart. And so the reason Jesus has this interaction with Judas is because he cares about Judas. God cares about people, and so he takes the time to correct him because he knows what, God knows what money should be used for is to glorify God and to love and help other people instead of being used to control and arrange my life to dictate my own happiness. See, if we're not careful, we can read the story of Judas. You know, we're sitting on this side of history, The minute I say the name Judas, you immediately have all kinds of opinions formed in your mind of this betrayer. But at this moment in time, that hasn't happened yet. This guy, for all intents and purposes, for all that we know from the outside, loves Jesus. He's one of the 12 guys who's given up three years of his life to go with him everywhere. He's seen him preach truth and hope and heal people. He's, he's lived with him. He's, he's watched him travel from town to town. Judas has experienced this firsthand. In fact, part of his role is to take care of the money so they could bless people who were in need. He's intimately involved in the life of Jesus. He's one of the core disciples. He's one of Jesus' closest friends. But he's at a tipping point. And his heart is teetering. And we see two key things in this passage that we should take note of. Number one, he viewed things through his own lens. I know what's best. I know what's needed here. How easy is it for us to look at the circumstances of our lives and question what God's up to and think we have a better understanding of what should be happening? He looks at this and goes, this is wrong. Why are we doing this? He felt like he knew what was best. You know what that is? It's a good old-fashioned Bible word. It's the word pride. You know, we, we don't like framing things anymore in our context in black and white like that. We like to massage things to feel a little bit better about ourselves. I'm being practical. I'm just, I'm just considering. I, I'm considering everybody here. I'm considering all the facts. I'm using my intelligence, my wisdom. No, it's pride and selfishness. I know what's best. Secondly, it's, he's not just driven by this mindset of I know what's best, so I'm going to lean on my own wisdom and perspective. He's also looking out for his own interests. What's in it for me? See, he, he hid under the guise of, wow, we could have used this church money a whole lot smarter. There's a lot smarter things we could have done with this. We could have given this to some poor folks. 
But in actuality, what was going on within his own heart is that whenever he felt the need, he drew a little out of that money bag for himself. And so he was looking out for his own interests. What's in it for me? You know what that is? Good old-fashioned greed. You know, I, I don't like to think of myself as greedy. I don't like to think of myself as prideful. But man, the truth is, if I'm honest, guys, I've been Judas. I've been Judas. I think I know what's best. I think I have a good perspective on life. I want to run things my way. I'm determined. You know, there's a lot of good I do for other people. So I need to, I still need to watch out and arrange for what's best for me. What am I getting out of this? It's so easy to fall into this trap. See, the reality is when, when the writer of the gospel here says that he used to help himself to the money bag, you know what that tells us? It tells us that there's a way of living that Judas had been settling for for a while. He didn't just accidentally wake up one day and decide, I'm gonna betray my best friend. Little by little, step by step, he compromised. And he let himself be driven by, I know best, and what's in it for me. And it led to this tipping point. In Mark's gospel, he points out that it is this event at this moment in time when he decides, I'm gonna betray Jesus. Mark's gospel picks up the story right where it left, leaves off there in John. And in Mark's gospel, chapter 14, verse 10, it says, then Judas Iscariot, who is one of the 12, went to the chief priests, in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. Well, we fast forward and just a few short days later, the perfect opportunity presented itself. On, on Jesus' last night with his disciples, he's just finished having the last supper with him. They've sung a hymn. It's right where we left off at our Good Friday service on Friday. And they've, they've sung that hymn. And now he's, he's heading to the Mount of Olives. And they're on their way there. And he's been praying. And the disciples have been falling asleep. And so finally, he's done praying. He gathers his disciples. And he said, all right, guys, ready or not, the moment has come. The betrayer is coming. And in Matthew chapter 26, verse seven, it says, 47, it says, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the 12, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man, seize him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, greetings, rabbi. Like you get that? Gre greetings, rabbi in the moment of his betrayal, still treating him as if Jesus is his teacher, as if Jesus is his guide. And then he kissed him. Verse 50, Jesus said to him, friend, do what you came to do. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. I, I believe there was even a small part of Judas that never fully accepted the depth of what he was doing to his savior. He's frustrated, he's angry, he thinks he knows best. 
And now it's like, you know what? Maybe he'll just learn a lesson from this. We're, we're going to see this in a minute. I don't think it ever ended, entered Judas's mind that Jesus was actually going to die. We're going to see that in a few minutes. But he shows up still under the guise of, oh yeah, I follow you. I love you. And Jesus looks at him and says, stop pretending. Stop playing games. Be honest about what you're really here to do. You are betraying me and you're living for yourself. That's what Jesus is saying. Pay attention to what you're here to do. Betrayal. He goes from living for himself, feeling like he's got things figured out, arranging for what's best for him. And the path that takes him towards is betrayal. And I, I, I want y'all to hear this this morning. Think about all the things Judas betrayed. First of all, he betrayed his highest ideal. Jesus is the highest ideal. This guy who loved well, who loved sacrificially, who put others ahead of himself, his most faithful, loyal friend, his highest ideal. He betrays that for a moment. He betrays not just his highest ideal, he betrays his closest friend. This is the greatest relationship he's ever had. And he betrays his highest ideal and his closest friend for short-sighted gain. In doing this, he not only betrays Jesus, he betrayed himself. Because he navigated his life based on his lowest level desires. Now, if you're li listening up to this point and you don't think that in some way this could be you or I, man, you haven't been paying attention. Guys, think about the culture that we live in. Why do you think a country that is so well off financially and enjoys so many freedoms to pursue our own happiness? It's like right there in our declaration of freedom to pursue happiness then why in that country are people so overworked, apathetic, stressed and anxious, addicted, angry, jealous, destructive, and depressed? If arranging for our own benefit works, why is that the condition of our culture? And if I'm honest, man, I'm reading through that list. Guys, that's me. That has been me. Several of those words have been me recently. <laughs> Why? Because when we settle for living out of I know what's best or what's in it for me, what will inevitably happen is that I will betray the closest people around me, the highest good that I was made for. And so ultimately, I betray myself because I, I settle for momentary pleasure, what I can just see right in front of me. And I sacrifice all God has intended for me. Jesus loved Judas. Jesus loves us. And he wants to rescue us and save us from this broken way of thinking and living. And so what happens? What's the result of this? 
Well, at the end of this middle of the night arrest, Jesus is taken off to a rigged trial and the morning comes. And in Matthew 27, verses one through, through five, it says, when the morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate the governor. Then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind. You see what I was talking about? When he realized he actually got condemned to death, he was devastated. He had regret immediately. He brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed and he went and hanged himself. You see, he thought he could get away with living like this. He figured they don't have anything on Jesus. He hasn't really done anything wrong. They'll let him go. No big deal. He didn't really believe that that betrayal would lead all the way to death. I don't stop and think like this. When we just kind of live out of that mentality in the moment, what's in it for me, I know best. We don't consider how that story plays out. So what's the result for Judas? Guilt, shame, and regret. Can I I just ask you to pause and consider for a minute? Did guilt, shame, and regret lead to change in Judas's life? No. It didn't lead to redemption. It didn't lead to salvation. Guilt, shame, and regret led him to his death. He took his own life. Listen, if... If you're not hearing anything else this morning, I hope you hear this. There there is a type of regret that that leads to repentance. It's called godly sorrow. We're gonna talk about it in a minute when we look at Peter's life. But that's not what Judas experienced. He feels guilty. He feels regret. He's sorry for what he's done. He's sorry that this led where it did. But it's stops with this overwhelming sense of guilt. He's he's stuck in pride and then eventually he wakes up from his pride and now he's stuck in guilt and shame. I'm, I'm deeply indebted to my pastor, Steve Berger, back in Franklin, Tennessee. He summarized this issue so perfectly when he said, the two biggest lies you believe about God's mercy are number one, that you don't need it, and number two, that it's not available to you. The first lie, that you don't need it, it massages your pride. The second lie, that it's not available to you, manipulates your guilt. Manipulates your guilt. Jesus did not come to condemn the world, but to save it. When we have an awareness of this kind of mentality in our lives, 
the good news of the gospel is I don't have to stay stuck there. I don't have to stay stuck in my blindness and pride. I can let the light of the hope of Jesus shine and, and wake me up and open up my eyes to the truth of how I've been living. And then I don't have to be stuck in guilt and shame and regret. I can recognize that things can change, that the mercy of God is available to me. And so in the midst of having this warning that we see in the life of Judas, thank God that we have some encouragement in the life of Peter. Listen, we don't think about this now, but Peter was in pretty similar waters to Judas on this very same night. Peter's gathered with Jesus. They've just finished the Last Supper. They're on the way to the Mount of Olives. It's it's, it's minutes, maybe an hour or so from when Judas shows up. And on the way there, in Mark chapter 14, verse 27, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says to them, you will all fall away for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. He says, listen, you're gonna fall short, but there's hope. Even though you're going to miss the mark and fall away, there's hope. I'm going to rise again and I'm going to beat you to your hometown. I'll be waiting on you when you come to your senses. And Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But Peter said emphatically, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. Listen, everyone passionately agrees that they wouldn't deny Jesus. I do that constantly. I passionately agree that I I love him, I'm gonna follow him, I'm faithful to him. And then I wake up on a random Thursday morning and realize my behavior has been denying him all week long. Little ways I've I've been treating my family thoughts I've been entertaining, ways I've been living. I've been denying him. What am I doing? And so the story goes, you're familiar with it. Jesus is now in the middle of his trial and Peter's kind of followed along safely behind and now he's in the courtyard and he's listening. He's listening in on this trial. And in Mark chapter 14, now verse 66 And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. I don't even know what you're talking about. Who's Jesus? And he went out into the gateway and the rooster crowed. He even had a warning. Jesus told him the rooster's gonna crow twice and you're gonna deny me three times. He does it once, the rooster crows. Verse 69, the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, certainly you are one of them for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And then Luke, Dr. Luke, with his devastating precision and accuracy, 
he records the very next detail in his gospel. Luke chapter 22, verse 61. The minute that third denial comes out of Peter's mouth, says, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter, remembering the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. At at this moment in time, there's no outward evidence. It's not obvious that Peter is feeling any different than Judas was. Outwardly heartbroken, devastated, crying bitterly. He's a broken man. He's denied his savior and he's watching him head to his death. Anyone ready for a resurrection yet? (laughs) Listen, I know this is hard. I know this is a hard truth, but you know what? That's hard. That's half the story. The cross of Jesus Christ is half the story. Sin is that devastating. It's that destructive. Listen, we, we tend, especially if we've been in Christian circles, like we, we get, we've agreed with the concept that like sin has made this world fallen and broken and we all eventually die a physical death. But guys, like, like living in sin destroys us from the inside out. We die long before we reach our grave. It's destructive. And that's part of the truth. But thank God for the hope of the gospel that the cross deals with that devastating reality and the resurrection of Jesus brings forth hope and light for us to be redeemed. Thank God that even though Peter was heartbroken, weeping bitterly, that he he held on, devastated through the weekend, and Sunday morning shows up. And in Mark's gospel, chapter 16, verse 1, we read, When the Sabbath was passed, Jesus has now been in the grave Friday, Saturday, Sunday morning now, it's early. And Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, Salome, they bring spices so that they may go and anoint his body. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb and they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? I love that. That's just so human and practical, right? Hey, we're heading to the tomb. We got to do this important thing. Oh, wait, we kind of forgot. Who's going to roll away the stone? Jesus had it covered. Because then looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. And they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be afraid. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who is crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Now check this out. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Did you catch that? Oh, speaking of catch that. (laughs) I think my bottled water here can hold this down. I love that. Tell his disciples and Peter. His last moment with Peter was looking at him right as he's denied him three times. This devastating moment. 
And Jesus wants to make sure that Peter hears the message. Peter, I can't wait to see you, buddy. I love you. I'm headed to your hometown. I can't wait to see you there. So he says, make sure Peter knows. So what do the disciples do? They head to Galilee. They head to their hometown. And while they're there, Peter does what Peter does. Let's go fishing, boys. And so in John's gospel, chapter 21, verse one, we pick up the story. It says, after this, after Jesus' resurrection, he revealed himself again to the disciples by the sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon, Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. They went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. I mean, can you just picture it? They're out there fishing all night, miserable, Maybe it was even kind of cold and nasty like it was last night. They've caught nothing. And there's Jesus on the shoreline. And he said to them, children, do you have any fish? I mean, that's just the worst moment right there. Children, like these are seasoned veteran fishermen. And some guy on the shore is going, hey, kids, you had any luck last night? And they answered him, no. I don't know if y'all are able to read the scripture and see it come alive like that, but like, you know, they can't even say anything, right? Like they're super annoyed. There's this guy on the shore yelling at them and they got nothing, no comeback. No, we didn't catch anything. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. I love this next reaction. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. It's in that moment they realize it's Jesus. Now watch Peter. Guys, if I was gonna sit down and try to explain to you what repentance looks like, I could do no better than to tell you this story right here. Peter sees Jesus on the shoreline, realizes it's him, is fully aware of this devastation of the last time he was with them. And Peter, when he heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and he threw himself into the sea. I mean, can you just imagine the scene? This is a Jewish guy thrown on his robe, dives into the sea and he's just working through the surf, trying to get to the shore to get to Jesus. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish for they were not far off from the land, but about a hundred yards off. A hundred yards That's how far he swam in his robe to get to Jesus. And when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus had prepared a meal for the very folks who had left him running, hiding, scared, and Peter himself denying Jesus. Peter perfectly captures what the Apostle Paul is talking about when he writes in 2 Corinthians 7.10, for godly sorrow produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces death. I mean, Paul could have been writing about Judas 
and about Peter. I can tell you for sure he was writing about you and I. He wanted us to know that there are two ways to live. We can live a life of pride, of greed, that ultimately leads to betrayal, hurting our loved ones around us, betraying our own hearts and lives, betraying our God who made us. And we can live with regret and death. Or we can realize what Peter knew about his Savior, that his Savior was so good that he could go with all his messiness, with all his faults, with all his failings, and he could throw himself in the sea and swim home. And he would find a savior there who loved him and would rescue and redeem him, who had bread for him to eat and eternal life to offer. I, I wanna wrap things up like this. I just, I want you to consider some things this morning. No one wants to think of themselves as Judas betraying Jesus or Peter denying his savior. The truth is, we are certainly aware of the pain of sin. When I look at the world around me, I am aware of its presence. Man, I see the devastating effects that it has. I'm also pretty aware of how sin has hurt me. I'm aware of times that people have betrayed me, let me down, wounded me, hurt me, chose themselves over me. I'm aware of that. The problem is this right here. It's what Alexander Solzhenitsyn points out. This is the guy who spent eight years in a Russian labor camp around the time of World War II. This is a guy who spent years of his life compiling a record of the millions of people in Russia who were both stuck in these labor camps and the people who were putting them through the persecution they were experiencing. He saw the devastating effects of people at their worst. And he said this, if only it were all so simple, if only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds and it were necessary only to separate from the rest of us and destroy them. Listen to this. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. And who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart? That's the issue. The resurrection life that is available to you and I comes with a decision to let something in us die. Jesus died fully for us. Am I now willing to die to that life of sin? of living according to my own way, my pride. I know what's best for me. Or my own greed. What can I get out of life? What's in it for me? Finally, he summarizes this concept by saying, all attempts to find a way out of the plight of today's world are fruitless unless we redirect our conscience in repentance to the creator of all the guy who watched some of the greatest devastation ever on this earth, the devastating effects of sin, he said it's as simple as this. Individual hearts have to decide that they're willing to repent to the creator of all. That's it. 
If those who are going to be playing want to go ahead and come up and get ready, we're going we're gonna to serve communion in a minute. And so I want to give you some things to consider as, as we partake of communion. Today's message, I believe, is for everybody here. For many of us, it is, it is a really healthy reminder of what Jesus has rescued us from. And we have an opportunity to come with gratitude, to thank him, to remember him. We can come to this bread because he's the kind of God that prepares bread for us. We can come to this cup because he's the kind of God who gives his very life, who shed his blood to forgive our sins. This is what Jesus does. And so we can come and remember him and thank him. Some of us might be here this morning and we need that Jesus. We've never repented. We've never said yes to him. I want you to know something this morning. You can say yes to him today. You can meet him today. On this Easter Sunday morning where we celebrate his resurrection, this can be the start of your resurrection story. Come meet Jesus. For others of us, you might be sitting here going, man, I, I'm a follower of Jesus. I know him. I, I, I trust him. But you know what? I've kind of been like his followers. I've been a little bit like Judas. I've been a little bit like Peter. The truth is my, my heart's been hardened a little bit. I've been resistant. I've been betraying some of the things I know. I've been using my money. I've been using my resources, my time, my relationships for my own gain. I've been betraying God and those closest to me in my own heart. I'm sick of that. And I'm, I'm ready for things to be refreshed in my relationship with Jesus. If that's you, here's your part. Repent. It's not a curse. It's a gift. It's a gift to be able to acknowledge I'm wrong and I need help because repentance is the way to resurrection. And if we do our part and repent, here's the good news. God's part, he's really good at doing it. You know what his part is? Forgiveness. Forgiveness is the most expensive gift in the whole world. The cross teaches us that. But it also just so happens to be free. He freely gives it to any who would ask. So here's your specific instruction, and then I'm going to leave you with Peter's words as we close the service. If you want to come and partake of communion, we've got several guys who are going to come down front. Guys, y'all can go ahead and start preparing. They're going to be lined up here. You can come as you're ready during this next worship song. Grab the elements. Go back to your seat with your family and remember Jesus. Thank him for the ability to repent and be forgiven. But if you know that you need to do some business with Jesus today, I'm willing to stand with you and pray and encourage you and point you to Jesus. I'll take you by your hand and introduce you to him for the first time. I'll take you by your hand and we'll repent together. I'm gonna be standing just over to the side here, kind of near the, the cross in the water. And as others are coming up for communion, come see me and we'll talk to Jesus together. You come and repent and you will find forgiveness and resurrection life. Peter's words, 
when he first got a chance to preach about how good this Jesus is, this is what he said. Acts chapter two, verse 38. After hearing the message of Jesus, the people gathered said, what do we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And here's the good news for you and I, for the promises for you, the people that were present that day, and for your children, and for all who are far off. We're far off, that's you and me. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself, may we hear our Savior calling us today. Amen? Amen. Come forward and meet him if you need to. Come forward and worship and remember him as we partake of communion.